My name is Kirby Ferguson, and welcome to Copy This, the podcast about copyright. The show is brought to you by the Recreate Coalition. American culture holds certain occupations in high esteem. Things like firefighter, police officer, nurse, and teacher. I'd like to also give credit to another job that's often overlooked for its service to the public, and that's librarian. Libraries are one of the fundamental and essential services for society. They provide access to knowledge, ideas, entertainment, community, and nowadays, technology. They allow us to build on the work of previous generations. Without libraries, the greatest works of human history could have been lost. In the hyper-commercialized 21st century, libraries remain a common good, accessible to everyone, regardless of their fortune. Those at a disadvantage in society can start visiting a library to improve their prospects. And if every business goes bankrupt tomorrow, it will be libraries that will preserve their knowledge and prevent it from being lost. The stewards of this great institution are librarians. These are people who have a passion for preserving, organizing, and sharing knowledge. They provide us the service day in and day out, and they do it very quietly because, you know, they're librarians. To do their jobs, librarians need to engage with copyright constantly. Almost everything they touch is copyrighted, so they rely on clear, coherent, and reasonable copyright policy. Here to discuss how librarians interact with copyright is Laura Quilter. Laura is the Copyright and Information Policy Librarian at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She's known for her work on intellectual property and new media, as well as her long-standing archive of information on feminist science fiction. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. What does a copyright and information policy librarian do? My primary position here at University of Massachusetts Amherst is, is education. I, and I will say that what I do often varies from you know other different kinds of copyright librarians. We all have different portfolios. But my primary role is education. And so I do a lot of educational programming. I consult with individual faculty or staff, students, to really help them understand their copyright matters. So you know they're faced with a publishing contract. And they honestly don't understand what is in a publishing contract, what are the rights they're giving up, what they should want to hold on to, um, what it means to give up these rights. Or, you know, I help them understand how to assess whether something is fair use or public domain or, or all of those kinds of negotiations. So how has your world changed and evolved since you started working in the field? There have been sort of two general changes that almost anyone in the field might recognize. And first was, you know, the rise of intellectual property and this idea of information as property and something that could be controlled and something that, like, that is the best or the only way to control it is to treat it as property. So kind of a very aggressive and copyright maximalist world. And that was happening, you know, for a long time, really, but it was happening into the 90s. And we... we started analyzing it, right? We had scholars analyzing it and realizing, you know, well, this is creating a permissions culture. What does that mean? You know, this is this is really fear-based. This is giving up our rights. And so that's the second thing that we started to see. And of course, you know, there were strains of that critique of copyright maximalism that have been going on for a long time, but it really became popularized and widespread in the late 90s and the 2000s. And so then you started seeing this I wouldn't call it a backlash, but, you know, a swing of the pendulum back to recognizing the importance and value of balance in the copyright world. And um, 
So that has been, you know, a really big trend over the last 15 years is, you know, it's not just libraries realizing it. It's not just academics realizing it. It's, it's Often it's even in the broad public is realizing, oh, you can't just have copyright running roughshod over every other right, over every other value that we have. So I think that's really been a tremendous change in the kind of the later part of my career. And I think what that's brought and kind of a more notable change is many colleagues, right? When I was working on this in the 1990s and I would tell people, oh, I really care about copyright and the public interest in copyright, people would look at me side-eyes. They had no idea what a public interest in copyright might even be. And now... You know, we have so many wonderful colleagues within libraries, within the civil liberties community, who really recognize that there are public interests at stake in intellectual property law, in copyright, and patent, and telecommunications. And so just that um, broadening of the, the collegial and scholarly perspective has been wonderful. How does copyright affect librarians and educators? Oh my gosh, so many ways, right? libraries and librarians are constantly dealing with the stuff of copyright. Printed books, music, sheet music, sound recordings, films. I mean, we're just constantly dealing with it. And what are we doing with it? Well, we're preserving it, which sometimes requires making copies. We are putting it into different forms. We're accessing it in different ways. We're providing copies of it, right? Libraries and librarians are constantly interacting with things that, you know, are really right squarely in the territory of what is covered by copyright law. Educators are also right in the middle of it because educators are, for one thing, constantly providing copies to students or helping students access copies. But for another really key reason, which a colleague of mine has often said is, you know, humans learn by making copies. We learn by reproducing things, right? Like little kids are copying things. Artists, when they first start to master their art, what do they do? They pull up comic books and they start trying to draw Wolverine, right? Singers, I'm watching my daughter, nine and a half years old, do this now, right? She's trying to learn music and trying to learn to sing. And she's picking out artists that she likes, and she's trying to imitate their interpretations of songs, and she'll be singing along with them. So humans just learn. We're, we're imitative naturally, right? And of course, that's the key. That is copyright, the right to make copies. That's exactly what we're doing. So why do librarians and archivists support balanced copyright and fair use? And that's such a good question. I mean, I think anybody who uses copyright thinks and supports a balanced copyright culture, even though they don't always acknowledge it on a deep level, they might think, you know, well, the best balance is, you know, more copyright and more protections. But once you actually start asking them to get specific and to talk about, you know, well, but should this be maximalized or is there a balance here? You'll find that almost everybody understands the need for balance in particular ways, right? Again, I think for librarians and archivists, you know, because we have this key role where our entire job is really embedded in copyright culture, we have this unique role in in culture where we are not just collecting materials and preserving them, we're supporting the development of scholarship, we're creating scholarly works ourselves. You know, archivists in particular are constantly creating you know, new exhibitions and new displays that, you know, are themselves copyrighted works, right? So here we are, we're really like in the mix of, 
you know, making sure that material is available to others to create, and yet we're collecting and preserving that which has already been created. What do you want policymakers to understand about libraries and fair use? That the balance is actually what makes copyright work. You know, we talk about sometimes in cases copyright is the engine of free expression because it has this incentivizing purpose. So the boundaries that we put on copyright, the limitations, the the balances that we embed within copyright, those are absolutely critical to making copyright work as it is intended, right? As the Constitution says copyright is supposed to work to, to produce, to incentivize the production of new creative works, for copyright to do that, the limitations and, and boundaries have to be there to try to keep copyright functioning smoothly and moving ahead. Do you have any examples in mind of instances where a scholar or a researcher had to deal with copyright on a, on a research project? Oh my gosh, you know, all the Plenty. time. Yeah. Right? I talk with faculty members sometimes who are, you know, they're working on one project or another and they need to um, use unpublished letters. So do they have to get permission? Do they, who, from whom do they get permission? How do they figure out who owns the copyright? Or they're using old photographs, you know, maybe they're wartime photographs and, and figuring out again, is there a copyright on these materials? Who would own the copyright? How would you get hold of them? Is your use fair use or not? Those are all the kinds of things that just happen routinely. Scientists who want to rely on somebody else's figures, you know, is this particular kind of figure, is this table, is this going to be covered by copyright? Is it fair use? Should I recreate it myself? They have to worry about those kinds of things all the time. Mm-hmm. Once they're actually dealing with publishers, publishers will sometimes, you know, I don't necessarily have the longest view on this, right? I don't know what publishers were like 20 years ago. I do know that quite a few publishers now are really responsible and careful and figure out and understand that fair use, you know, is really there to be used, right? But mm-hmm. some publishers, you know, are really, you know, they're just using hand guidelines that were handed to them 20 years ago. They haven't really updated it or even thought about it. And so they'll require things like, you know, permissions for screenshots, you know, from a film in a critical work about a film. And that doesn't really make any sense. You know, that's the kind of thing that's very easy to explain or justify under fair use. And, and yet, sometimes publishers are just kind of mechanically asking for permission for everything. So it actually looks like we are going to have new works coming into the public domain in 2019. Like we're not going yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us cynics sort of thought, oh, it's just going to keep <laughs> for the rest of our lives, at least copyright. It was it's worrisome, keep, right? Yeah, it's just going to keep expanding. But it looks like in 2019, we're actually going to have new uh, new works entering the public domain, new old works. Are you excited about this? Have you started looking into what these works are? Yeah, I'm excited about it. And I've been talking with colleagues about what kinds of interesting programming we can do around it, what sorts of works we can highlight, what kinds of things might we, you know, digitize and throw out there. And, yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, in, in academic library terms, it's going to be a big party. <laughs> It'll be a really exciting new year. Awesome. Laura, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Kirby. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will see you next time with a brand new episode of Copy This.